What wonderful praise you engaged in together this morning. What a blessing it is to be with God's people, is it not? To lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to praise him, to honor him. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we are privileged to be called the children of God. Not because of things we have done, not because of anything good in us, but because we serve a God who is full of grace and full of mercy and full of compassion, who looked upon us while we were yet sinners and sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in our place that we might have salvation through him. And so, our Father, I pray that we may never become complacent about our salvation or become settled and keep the salvation that we have received to ourselves. But, Lord, that we may trumpet it from the highest hills, that we may proclaim it as boldly as we can, that we may be conscious of the lostness around us and the great treasure that we have in Christ Jesus. And that, Lord, you might impassion our hearts afresh to be faithful servants of the living Christ, our champion God, our God of victory, our God who is rescuing those from the captor's clutches and bringing people to rescue and salvation. Lord, thank you. May this day, may this service, may this moment be honoring to you. May the presence and power of the Spirit of God reside among us and powerfully work among us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was rubbing shoulders with Joe Q. Public more than I normally get to do. And I happened to be um, sitting in a downtown senior's apartment here in Oshawa, and there were a number of, uh, of people sitting in the lobby. I was sitting among them, and one lady turned to another and said, I am so sick of my life. And that statement just hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I thought, to, how representative that was really of the plight, the heartaches, the emotions, the feelings of so many people in our region. So many people outside of Jesus Christ, outside of a life-transforming relationship with the living God who loves them and cares for them and sent his son to die for them and changes them. And um, I, I, I think I came to grips afresh with the sheer magnitude of what it is to be hopeless. I'd like to say that I rushed in with the gospel, but to be honest, I just sat there and let it soak in. And I think that's, it, it helped me to, to think about our role, our responsibilities at church community, my role, my responsibility, about the, the sheer magnitude of hopelessness and helplessness and hurting that is buried around us under layers of booze and drugs and possessions and preoccupations, drivenness. Do you feel like me that we need to do something about this? 
Does anybody out there feel like, like we, we need to absolutely do something about the fact that people are so lost and so harassed and so helpless and so hurting and so hopeless? I've been getting a little nostalgic lately because maybe some of you haven't been counting, but I just now have reached my, basically my decade with you. I've been here 10 years. 10 years you've had to put up with me blabbing up here at the front. Can you imagine? Now, some of you haven't been here that long, but, <clears throat> but um, I've been reflecting with our leadership team. We, we've all been reflecting on what has the Lord been saying to us over this time, you know? What, 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 if we put all of this together and thought through, what, what is the central message that God has really been pounding into our hearts? And, and I think, you know, for, se for several, for all, for this decade of years, we've been, we've been feasting, I think, on spiritual vitamins. We've been seeking the Lord from his word and, uh, and working with that. We've had sermon series that are really geared to that kind of thing. You know, the live holy, the live big, the give bigs, the go big, the big hope, the big reels. We've sought to, to, to to, to strengthen the ministry on a superstructure of, of core values, our five essentials that are, that are behind me. Word, witness, worship, prayer, and growth. Last year, we all piled out of the church. Remember last September, we all piled out of the church and, and we put up signs and we, we told our region, you know, that God cared about them and that, and that we care about them and that we wrote their names on signs. Remember, and we were praying for them and we are praying for them. And, and some of those signs are represented in the lobby so you can be, remember as a representation of what we did last year. And, and, and just putting all of this together and, and the messages of Daniel and where we're going with that and putting all of that together, just asking the question, Lord, what, what is this? The central passion you have for us, and what is the message you have for us? And I think over these years, we've grown stronger. I think we have. But I'm not sure that our region has changed all that much. I'm not sure that the lostness and hurting and helplessness and hopelessness of our region has really been touched all that much. And that bothers me. It, it, it grieves my heart. And, and uh, you, you know, I, I really think that that you agree with me that it's time to take the spiritual and the, and the physical resources of Calvary Baptist Church and take it up a notch. I, I think you're all thinking that, that we're looking for that. We're, we're looking for God to take us to another, another level of, of ministry and mission. So... What is it that God is looking to energize? I've been thinking about this. And, and if you want to get a little bit of an ultrasound into my heart about what keeps me up at night and wakes me up early, it, it has everything to do with, with the concern I have with, with ministry in general that, that we might risk becoming formal or professional or, or settled, comfortable. That, that, that God has so blessed us and given us all of these resources and, and, and given us this great opportunity to be together with community and fellowship that, that somehow we'll just rest in that and, and that we will miss out on the, on, on the amazing, authenticating power of the living God. And I, I just think often that 
that, that we learn from the scriptures very well how to know, know how to look godly, but, but are we really doing godly? You know, it, it grows out of this increasing awareness that, that I have in my own life and, and, and the life of church in general in North America and the Western world and, and all this going on. And I'm wondering to myself if the, what the Apostle Paul said to Timothy isn't true of way too many places, way too many churches in North America, and, and hopefully, God forbid, here, but, but I, I think about it, and I think, you know, Paul said to Timothy, in the last days, you know, there'll be a form of godliness, it'll be formal and ritual, and, and it'll appear godly and all of that, but, but the church will deny the power of God. It, it will deny the power of God because it will lack a dependency on God for his power. They'll become so slick, so good, so formal, so ritual, so professional, that they can knock it off in their sleep, but they don't experience the authentic power of Jesus Christ to really change lives. That, to me, keeps me awake at night and gets me up early, and I keep asking the question, Lord, no, I never, ever want to be that, and I don't want to be a part of that, and I don't believe for one second I serve among a people of God who want to be like that. I believe with all of my heart that, that you desire with 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 the depth of your soul, that God would do amazing and powerful things, that we would see the healings of God and the, and the deliverances of God and that captives would be set free and that, that people would be revived and, and people would come to Christ in record numbers and Durham region would be shaken and, and there would be a boldness about us, all of that. And I've been asking myself, what, what is it? And I think it's time for sure if we're, if, if we're moving in that direction to say no to passionless and powerless. You know, when I think about the scriptures as a whole and sort of biblical theology and asking the question, what is it? What is it that God uh, seeks to empower? What is it that attracts the power of God to, to um, resource the mission of God? Because God is on a mission. You might have settled down a long time ago, but God is on a mission. He wants, you to, he wants to take you with him. So what is it that attracts the power of God to resource the great and amazing mission of God? Isn't the power of God always conditional on the passion of his people? I think it is. Just a random sampling of scripture will we'll convince you, I'm sure, if you're not already convinced. That doesn't it say in God's word, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. I will heal their land. Does Canada not need healed? Does Durham region not, to be, not need to be healed? It's conditioned on if my people will do. If, if my people will gain a passion. Does it not say in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, 9 that, that the eyes of the Lord rage to and fro throughout all the land to strengthen those whose hearts are fully devoted to him? Does it not say in James chapter 4, verse 8, draw near to God, come near to God, and he will come near to you. How near is God? God is as near as you turning and toward him. Come near to God. He'll come near to you. Does it not say in Jeremiah 29, 13, if my people, or you will seek me and find me 
when you seek me with all of your heart? That's just a random sampling of the simple reality that the power of God made available to the people of God is always conditioned on the passion of the people of God. So I want to share with you this morning three very simple pictures out of the Gospel of Matthew whereby Jesus has delivered to us illustrations of the mandate of the church, what, who the church is, what the church looks like, how the church should be described, the passion that the church should have. And I want to say that these illustrations, these pictures are not exhaustive, but there are three significant illustrations. And the one is that he has called us to be light bearers. He's called us to be investors, and he's called us to be preparers for a wedding. Now, weddings are not a strange thing around here at Calvary this year. There just isn't a, 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 is hardly anybody in this church that hasn't been touched with the planning and preparation or, or being part of a wedding in this church this year. And you know there's a flurry of activity. There's purpose and planning and effort and energy and investment and joy and excitement and passion. I love weddings. I, I love being parts of weddings. I love the, 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 the atmosphere of wedding. Jesus wants church always to be the atmosphere of wedding. I'm going to explain that to you in a few moments. So let's look at the first one. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Matthew chapter 14 says this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. I think, we think, I think you think, that it's time to really be the city on the hill instead of warehousing the brightest light under cover. Do you know, do you understand, what is our biblical mandate? The purpose of God's people are, are for God and for good wherever he has placed you in the world. We've been studying that, we've been looking at that, whether it's Genesis 12, verse 3, whether it's Jeremiah 29, uh, talking about the exile of Daniel, talking about the New Testament scriptures, you know that God has placed you where you are on purpose for him and for good to make a difference in your world wherever he's placed you. And, and we need to prepare ourselves or reinvent ourselves or reinvest in ourselves or reinvigorate ourselves or re-impassion ourselves to be significant players in the war that is raging against absolute truth. And that's why Jesus says to us as the church, you are the light of the world. You are it. You are tasked, you are chosen, you are purposed to be the one that will bring the light of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. There is no other plan. 
God has no other plan B, plan C, plan D, plan E. Plan A is it. It's the church. You. The emphasis is on you. You, me, our community, those who love Jesus Christ and know the truth. We are it. And he calls us to be on a hill, letting the light shine brightly, brightly broadcasting the truth of Jesus Christ everywhere we are. We are it. We are it because Jesus is it. In John 1, 9, he is the true light that came into the world. He continues his ministry through us, his mission through us. We are to bring the truth of God's word. The purpose of light is to shine. The purpose of light is to reveal. The purpose of light is to chase darkness. The purpose of light is to attract. The purpose of light is to be light. The text there says no one lights a candle and puts it under a bushel. That's ridiculous. It's illogical. Uh, it would make no sense to light the light in the first place if you're just going to put a bushel over it. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus Christ and the light of the gospel isn't the best kept secret in Durham region. Sometimes I wonder if we really are the light on the hill, if we really are broadcasting, if we really are shining the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to be a sentinel for the wayward. We, we are to, for the lost travelers, the ones who are one, lost their way and wondering where it is. That's the picture that it gives here. This great city that shines on a hill. And the traveler, the weary traveler, the lost one can look and say, there it is. There's where we should go. It must be so of us, it must be so of Calvary, that people, the weary, the lost, the hurting, the helpless, will somehow know that, that there's where we should go. We should look to that community. They'll help you. We're the light. It's time for communicating. We are kingdom outposts to put the will and the mind of God on display in every possible way. Whatever you do, Jesus says, do not, do not withdraw your influence from the culture. Whatever you do, Jesus says, don't hide. Shine. It's time for communicating. I'd like to believe that, that people around us might get the impression that if we hang around with this community, something good is going to happen in our lives. Because we might be introduced to someone, that someone good and great, who can change our lives, that one Jesus Christ. I think it's imperative for us to ensure that our headquarters specialize in works of communicating the light so praise to the Lord will follow. Don't take credit for anything. Don't any of us take credit for the light. Don't any of us take credit for the great things that God does among us and wants to do among us. But rather, every opportunity you get, turn that credit to the Lord. That's what the text says. Let the praises go to the Lord. Let people see what you do. And the only explanation for what you do will point them to the living God that he might be praised. Uh, let's make sure that God is the only explanation for our church. Let, let's, we, we need to be people, if we're talking about communicating the light of the gospel, we need to be people who are, who are consistently understanding what it is to broadcast in the lang language of the culture, to, to take the message to them in ways that they understand, ways that they can engage in, language that they speak. That's the example of Daniel. Daniel 
Daniel allowed his name to be changed to the language of the culture. He learned the language of the culture. He, he used the language of the culture. He studied the language of the culture. He, he got a job in the language of the culture because he was there in that culture as God's representative to shine the light and the glory of God in exile among a pagan culture that they might turn around and praise God. And over and over again, the examples that we've heard already and we will yet to study in Daniel, the only explanation they could give was they had to turn these powerful kings and say, truly your God must be the true God. Let our light so shine that people will praise our God in heaven. We can't totally keep up with the techno craze around us in terms of keeping up with their language. But in some way, we must make sure that we're minimally compatible here so that the message will somehow get into the hard drive of their lives. I believe that it's important for us to select from the culture what God can employ in the mission of the culture. So let's do everything possible. It's time to come out of hiding and make sure that we are that light on a hill. The haters of the light are becoming a forceful, forceful, powerful group shaping our culture. Are we, are we hearing that? Listen to the news. Pay attention to what the court decisions are. The haters of the light are becoming more and more powerful. This is not a time for God's people to hide the light under a bushel. So let's be the light on the hill. The second is found in Matthew chapter 25. It's a parable that Jesus gave that I think most of you are familiar with. It's the parable of the talents. In fact, I've taught it to you before. I'm not going to take the time to read through the whole parable. But let me just summarize it this way. It's the story of God's grace to the world. His grace being demonstrated by his willingness to give kingdom resources and fundamentally the ultimate kingdom resource, salvation to people. And the picture there is that God in his infinite wisdom grants kingdom resources to those on the basis of different capacities and different capabilities, but that he anticipates that in the gift of giving, that there will be a response by those who've received that will be passionate and will in turn want to invest everything they have and are to return to the rightful owner all that he deserves. That's the parable. And there are three different reactions or responses to this offering by God to people. There are three types of people. The one type we don't even talk about very much, but I'm wondering if it isn't the one we should talk about. Let me just introduce this picture as this. It's time to move from interest only to real investment gains. Now that sounds very money-oriented. But you need to understand that God is talking here about talents. It was a, a commodity he was talking about. The majority of our world takes the offering of God, and according to the text, 
buries it. God offers to everyone this message of salvation, this message of redemption, this offering of salvation, an offer of the kingdom resources of Jesus Christ. The majority of our world buries it. At the end, when the owner, the master, comes back, he says to the one who buried it, you ought to at least put it in the bank. And you find out in the text there that the reason the person buried it is because he said, the master is hard. The master's not good. I don't really want to serve the master. I don't want to really want to toil for him, so I'm going to bury this thing. And as far as the parable and the understanding of the parable is concerned, the one who buries it has turned his or her back on the gift of God and wants nothing to do with it. And God says, if you really believed in me, you really believed that I exist and you thought I was hard, the least you could have done is put this resource in the bank. And there you would have got interest at least. I got thinking about that, you know. Because you know, those of you who know this parable, you're just waiting for me to get to the next one where there were those who got five talents and they got five more and those who got ta two talents and they got two more. But, but there was the one Jesus mentioned. He said, you know, you should have at least put it in the bank. Would have got simple interest at least. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus isn't taking just a little shot at the North American church right there. You know, we, we've, uh, we're, we're, hey, thank you very much, Jesus, for salvation. It was a wonderful thing you've given to us. Thank you so much for the kingdom resources and the power and energy of God. I'm so grateful for my salvation. And you know what? I might even serve you a little bit, but, but I'm going to mostly settle down and take it easy. Thank you very much. I, I'm going to be satisfied with interest only in the bank. There's no evidence in the text that God says, well done, to anybody like that. Sometimes, you know, I, I, I get thinking about my own self, and I think, Lord, am I an interest-only kind of person? Am, am I settling with just the salvation that I've been given, enjoying that, enjoying the great fellowship of God's people in the community, and excited about that? Hey, look at us. We're all going to heaven. Aren't, aren't, we, aren't we wonderful, and isn't this fun? Serve them a little bit, and not pay any attention to the fact that most of Durham region is going to hell. When you really look at this parable, you realize that the well done, what really amps Jesus up is those who have received the gift, two talents, five talents, whatever it is. And they come back, when, when the master comes from them, they, they present themselves and they've put it to work. And they've diligently been passionate about what God is about and what God has given to them. And, and they've given back to him double what he gave to them. Not satisfied with mere interest, but, but satisfied only with real gains. Well done, the Lord says. Reserved for those who've doubled the investment. They put it to work. They recognized that this was the resources of another entrusted to me, entrusted to us. What would we do with this? Sit on it? 
comfortably put it in the bank and, and, and do nothing about it? No, a thousand times no. It's, it's invested. And by the way, to accept the costs of investing. You, you know, it says here that, that the difference between the, the one who buried it or the one who went and put it in the bank, it, it, it was... In verse 16, it says, a man who had received the five talents it went at once and put the, put the money to work and gained five more. There's a passion to that kind of description. It's, it's like, thank you, Lord. To understand, you remember, remember when, the, when, when Jesus was anointed and, and oh, all that, that, you know, that money could have gone to the poor and all of that. And, 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 and Jesus you know, says, leave her alone and all of that. And, and, and Jesus turns to one of his disciples and says, you know, the, the one who is forgiven much loves much. And there are various amounts of trust. And by the way, a talent, a talent was... was, was uh, in those days, a talent was um, a, a common day laborer's wages for 20 years. That's one talent. Now, I did some extrapolation and some math that you'll probably disagree with because it depends on what wage scale you use. But, but, but basically, we can update that and say that, that, that one talent is half a million dollars. God's not talking about small stuff here. He's talking about entrusting uh, the greatness of the resources of the kingdom of God. He says, here, have $2.5 million and go and make it. Not in the crass sense of making money and handing money back to God. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for investing in your kingdom resources, in resourcing the kingdom, and making a difference and impacting people's lives. I think you'll agree with me that it's time for connecting, for kingdom gains. It, it's time that we invested more in kingdom gains and risked more and worked more. Not bury it, not settle for interest only. And, and I guess we should ask the question of ourselves as a community of a thousand people. What would it take to double ourselves? Isn't, isn't that really what the, the math is here? Isn't that really what the lesson is here? Isn't that really what the passion of God is? Don't become comfortable. Don't sit still. Don't, don't be okay with a thousand. Because there are 135,000, 250,000, I don't know how many, lost in Durham region. I would say that um, the role and the vision for us is that we should make real gains, not interest only, real gains, the DNA of our mission, to double everything. Doublers get the many things, the master's happiness. I have tried to explain this to you before, and I'm going to explain it to you again. Why? First of all, because we are so grateful for what God has done for us. We have a passion for what God has done for us. But God, he promises us that for that passion, you will not be disappointed. Not only will you get the well done of the master, but you will get many things and, and, and 
great capacities for happiness. I've told you that the people who enjoy a buffet the most are the people who have trained themselves to eat. That's the way it is. Look at you pencil-thin people out there <laughs> who live on grapes and cottage cheese your whole life. <laughs> you can't enjoy a buffet. But there are people around here who will remain nameless, but they enjoy a buffet. They've trained themselves in enjoying a buffet. This is what this is all about. God said, listen, I want you to use all the capacities I've entrusted to you. If they're five or ten or two or whatever they are, I've entrusted these capacities to you, and I want you to double your capacities so that when the eternal comes, you will have trained yourselves and nurtured yourselves in embracing the full capacities that we cannot even imagine that God has for us. I don't want Calvary all to show up at, you know, at, at, at the pearly gates and, 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 and we'll be like emaciated and dieters. That's not who we're going to be spiritually. We want to be buffet people who will be able to look Jesus in the eye and say, where's the banquet table, you know? Because we're, we're ready to indulge in everything that you have for us because we wanted everything you had for us when we were down here. Lord, give us all the power you want for us to have. And I know, and you know, that the passion of the faithful summons the power of Christ to cause the passion to be productive. This is not about us generating stuff. This is not about flesh. This is not about human. This is not about decisions. This is not about leadership vision. This is about calling on the power of God to use us to do everything that he wants us to do to maximize our capacities in Christ's name. And then finally, I told you about the wedding. We kind of already moved ourselves into wedding thinking. If you look a little earlier in the same chapter in Matthew 25, there's a whole wedding preparation thing going on there. I think, lastly, it's time to work like the end is in sight. Because there's no freeloading your way to glory. In case you don't know this parable, because it's not as popular as the talent one, let me read it for you quickly. At the time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. The door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. 
those of you who know about weddings, and most of you do, being invited to the party isn't what qualifies. Getting ready and going and showing up to the wedding is what a wedding is all about. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it tells each of us who have come to faith in Jesus Christ that we are Christ's workmanship. We are God's workmanship, created in Christ in, to do works in advance prepared for us to do. This message, this parable says, sadly, that half of the people who knew that the bridegroom was coming, and of course the bridegroom in the parable is Jesus Christ, the wedding is all about the gathering of the people of God in that great wedding celebration when Christ comes to get all of his faithful followers and gather them all up. And it says in this parable that 50% of the people who knew that Jesus was coming someday were not ready. That, that causes a shiver in my soul, to be honest. It was a pastor of a congregation of people. You know, I wonder to myself. I think about these things, and, and I think about the, 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 the reality here was the, the virgins who were ready for the wedding, for the bridegroom's arrival. They had been occupying themselves, storehousing oil, taking the, the gift of salvation and serving the Lord with all of their hearts. This notion of, of being the workmanship of God, the beautiful tapestry that God is making, is remaking your life out of, is predicated upon the idea that you, are, that you are enlisting in the works of service prepared in advance for you to do. Am I preaching for one second that you can work your way to the wedding banquet? Never. God forbid that ever that message would ever be spoken in this church in this pulpit until the Lord returns. Never, never, never. Because in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. But those who have embraced the grace of God, those who have received the salvation of Jesus Christ, are God's workmanship and do enlist in the works of God that are prepared in advance for those who are truly His to do. That's what this parable is about. The real are obvious. They're engaged in the things of God. They're passionate about God. They're passionate about, about the salvation they've received and, 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 and the benefiting of others, the blessing of others. The, the purpose for receiving that salvation is that you might grow up in Christ-likeness and that you might shine your light in a dark world. They knew the end was coming, but they simply put off being all in until it was too late. Listen, when the Lord returns, you won't be able to sign up for the nursery or teach a Sunday school class or run and grab an offering plate and try to usher some people. It'll be too late. It's what is... In is the passion of your life now. It, it's the gathering of oil. It's the stockpiling of oil now. Matthew Henry, who I don't read often, and most of us can't understand what he says even when we do read him. So I thought I would paraphrase something that was very intelligent that he said, that I hope you'll understand about this parable. He says this, Someday it will be too late to clamor for the grace to save you that you never thought was worthwhile to rule you and to change you. 
Man, that's good. That's an important warning to all. When you have the saving grace needed, the real thing, you live the real life every day, ruled and shaped by Christ. You show up every day for God work, prepared for you in advance to do. You can't borrow authenticity or legitimacy. I think you'll agree with me that on the basis of there's a wedding coming. Get ready. Make sure that, that we are about the works of the kingdom, blessing the world with wedding talk and wedding work. And oh, by the way, in, in all that we do, in all of the work that we, we seek to accomplish, in all the challenges we put out to people, there will still be some people who just turn away. Jesus refers to them too in Matthew 22. And this is what he tells us to do. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. We're preparing this ministry, Calvary Baptist Church, for a wedding. It's going to take effort. No wedding is a breeze. You, you all know this. It takes effort and energy and money and passion and love for your kids or you'd never go through it and, and all kinds of stuff. Through effort and invitation, the day comes off. People show up and the wedding's a great success and great joy, but it didn't come without cost. It didn't come without work. It didn't come without effort. It didn't come without passion. It didn't come out with great love and joy for people. And it won't happen in the kingdom of God either. It's time. It's time to get more serious about our role and our purpose for being placed in this region and in this city. Our Father, I pray, because of your word, because of your spirit, that you would cause your results in the hearts of your people, for your glory, I pray, amen. I don't know if you know this or not, but next February, Calvary Baptist Church turns 85 years old. That's a great thing. But you know, when you uh, are turning 85 years old, there's a possibility that you might just get tired. And so, to prevent getting tired, you just need to be reinvigorated and re-energized and re-impassioned. And leadership here at Calvary are just believing that it's time for us to, to invite you to join with us because we think that, that the sermon that I preached this morning is a sermon that you've longed to preach. This is... This, is your, this expresses your heart. You want to get up here and say, it's time. It's really time to take the, the, the Calvary mission 
up another notch and, and, and take, it up, uh, take it up another level of energy and passion. So we, we've come up with a name that, that will hopefully identify the, the idea, the notion of, of advancing the mission of Calvary. We're calling it Renovo. Renovo is a Latin word which means renew. It's all about the, uh, the passion of, of, of our hearts and the power of Christ. And uh, Renovo is, a, is a, a greater project of over the next several years of, of resource changes and developing and, 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 and administrative changes and organizational changes and all the things that are necessary to move the Calvary ministry to make a bigger difference in the Durham region. We think we should start with a bit of a bite-sized project that uh, will move us in that direction and sort of prime the spiritual pump here at Calvary because the last time really Calvary has done anything of any major resource significance was 22 years ago when, when you took the risk to move up to this part of town and, and the, the mission has thrived here and grown and, and uh, it's time now to, to take it, uh, to God to take it to another level. So. Um, we're calling this little bite-sized thing, which, by the way, we're going to talk to you a lot more about tonight, more specifically, so please come back. If, if you want to know more about this, and you should want to know more, you come back tonight, it'll be more detailed. But we're calling the first part of this Renovo 1.0. And um, we're just, we're going to be talking to you about resourcing um, some upgrades in four basic areas of the church. And, and, and I'm going to put the time in, in our It's Time framework, all right? Just run through them quickly with you, and then we'll be, we'll be ready to go. It's time, I think you'll agree with me, to tell people outside of Christ that if you come to our parking lot, we won't hurt you. And, and uh, so, so uh, we, 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 we want to actually tell them we want to help them. And, and that we want to benefit them. I think you all agree with us that, that something drastic needs to be done. And uh, you'll agree with us on that. We, we also think it's time to put a different face on the first gathering place where people come into Calvary. And that's our lobby. We, we think that the lobby is, is, is a place that, that people will, should be asking questions like, who are these people? What, what are they impassioned about? What really matters to them? What do they care about? What do they love? And we think it should be a place that's telling them that we care about them and we care if they're hurting. We care about connecting with them. We, we care about communicating the truth to them. And, and so we think that the, the lobby could use a, a real upgrade that could send a more clear message about, about who we really are. We think you'll all agree with us that it's time to come to the rescue of our hardworking nursery labor force. I, I know we'll get some claps around the, to provide a... We think that it's important to provide a starting point for better facilities to make their sacrificial job a little better. You know, it's a great thing. We are growing um, physically around here. We're growing by birth around here. We're growing by babies around here, which is terrific. Keep, keep that rolling. But, but we, think we, need to, we think we need to be doing something about it to recognize in particular the changing concerns of today's parents with regard to safety and security particularly for a people who don't know about Jesus Christ, who are already timid, and they already think church is kind of weird anyway, and they come in here. I think we need to eliminate as much as possible any of their concerns and tell them, you know what, we can look after your children. We care for your children. They'll be safe and secure. We love them, and we're going to hand them back to you at least as good as we got them. We think finally that it's time to make a statement out there in our yard and update that sign. 
we think that it's important that we get this life-giving message communicated to be the, the, the ministry on a hill that we are and, and, and encourage people to know not just one message a week, but to know that there are many ways of connecting to the kingdom ministry of Calvary Baptist Church. Many connecting points, many ways that they can be cared for, that, that hurting and helpless and hopeless and disenfranchised people can say, you know what, that might be something for me. I ought to check that out. We think it might be important that we start to tell them about ourselves and, and make sure that they know that at least on the outside, something's happening at Calvary. Something's changing at Calvary. Maybe we ought to check it out. So we think those are four really good things that, that will help us to communicate in the language of our culture the eternal resources that are available through Jesus Christ at this ministry headquarters. So what's all this look like? Well, in your bulletin and in front of you in the pew, you received a card this morning. It's, it's, a, it's a pledge card because you know that all of this is going to cost us some money. It's going to cost us some money together. It's going to require some sacrifice, not just in money, but in, co in commitment to, to the mission and ministry of Calvary Baptist Church. Because we want to see some real investment gains here, not putting money in the bank and hoping that we settle for interest only, but serious gains for the Lord and for his kingdom. Beginning in November, the month of November for five months, we're going to seek to raise the money to take care of this project that I've just shared with you, these four things. Uh, the project amount is going to be about $400,000, and based on about 250 families that we have here and as a family project or whatever, uh, we think that the median amount is going to be about $300 a month. But we know some can give more than that, some can't give that much, so we, we've got a pledge card. And we also know that, that there's no way that you could have possibly known what we were going to ask you today or come prepared for that. That's okay, we knew that. We know that, and we want for you to put some prayer time into this and to talk with your family, talk to your spouse, and, and see what God really wants you to do, how, how to get engaged in this and, and, and all of that. So what we're looking for this morning is is simply an act on your part to say, I don't know how much or what, but you know what, Pastor? I'm totally agreeing with your it's time thing. I think it is time. I think it's time. I agree with you, and, and I'm in. I don't know. We're, we're in as a family. I don't know how much. God's going to determine that, but we're in. And so what, what we want you to do this morning, just to, to share with our community together that we're in, is to take one of those cards and come up here and put it on one of these illustrative representations of Durham Reed, just pin it in there and say, you know, I'm in. I don't know what yet. And then in the next couple of weeks, as God lays it on your heart, what you're going to do, you're going to come back in and take one of those things off and declare what you're going to do. And we're going to have a place for you to put it, a bowl here for you to place it in. And, and, and we'll keep you informed as to what God is determining for us to do. So we just think this is a day to say, Pastor, I'm in. Don't know for how much, but it is time. It is time to be that church on the hill, that light on the hill. It is time to stop settling for interest only and have some real gains. It is time to make this place like a wedding is about to occur, so I'm in. Father, I pray this morning. This is you. We're offering ourselves to you. This is, this is a, an offering to you, Lord. Would you move by your Holy Spirit, empower us to make the right decisions today, and in the coming days, I pray in Jesus' name.